0: everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Mastication Nation, which is a little bit of everything and very non-threatening. Wait, hold on a second. Is it 16? No, it's actually 17, because 16 was Bourdain. That's fine. <laughs> Bourdain was special. We'll just... I think it's fine. But that means that we are back to our normal service. Yeah, yeah. We, resu- we resumed normal service after taking a, a moment to reflect on uh, the passing of Anthony Bourdain, and, and thank you for everybody that... Uh, that chipped in with their own memories of of Anthony Bourdain, or or just uh, just just commented and, and and listened. That's that's greatly appreciated. It wasn't a very easy episode to record, as you probably may have heard on the <laughs> on the episode.
1: I I do appreciate everyone's feedback and thoughts. It kind of felt like you know a sort of like cathartic moment for all of us. Um, I do love some of the comments about your your Bourdain esque uh, uh, wrapping up rant at the end. I, I feel like it really sort of. You're invigorated by his spirit.
0: Yeah. I, I think I just got carried away with my loathing of cruises, but, uh, I, you know, I think it's funny because you, you and I have obviously been sharing anecdotes and stuff back and forth as more content has popped up and more stories, um, celebratory stories. There was another one. I don't even know if I want to bring this up now because they'll probably eat up the whole podcast, but there was a very prominent food journalist who was a fan of Bourdain's, but contradicted one of his greatest tenants which is food bringing people together so we had a long conversation yeah. about that and a lot of discussion on social media about that I feel like maybe we'll bring that up in a couple of episodes when that uh, when that scab <laughs> uh, is a little is a little more healed because I'm still pretty pissed off about it but uh, I still maintain that food is a very powerful source of Humanity of people coming together, and we should celebrate it, and not try and find ways to dick on each other.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, um, and I think that's a nice jumping-off point to sort of uh, get back into what we do best, which is share what dick we on do. people. <laughs> <laughs> No, share what we love about food, and, and, and uh, you know, we, we kind of skipped all over sort of the wrap-up after our, our nat- nachos episode, which, you know, a lot of people had some thoughts about, and, and dear listeners, we did not forget about you, um, you know, it was just uh, not the time to bring it up, but now is, so um, it sounded like a lot of people had some thoughts. I, I think that the ballpark-style, runny, you know,
0: cheesy, goodness, liquid stuff doesn't really exist outside of America. Have you ever seen it, like, anywhere else? No, I I haven't. And actually, it's funny, because in hindsight, and actually uh, with real-world scars, I need to clarify one of the comments that we opened with on that episode, which was, even when they're bad, nachos are good. Massive asterisk. And that asterisk in the footnote says, in America. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because... On the back of that episode, I couldn't get nachos out of my mind, so I sort of went and tried to find them wherever I was. My wife and I went out to lunch, and she ordered nachos, and it just put her in a bad mood Um, for the rest of the day. Actually, it was kind of frustrating. (laughs) Um, And then I had them recently, also in the UK, and they were terrible. They were just not good at all. Sweet salsa, um, the the emulsified cheese that we talked about where the fat – uh, you know, it's basically cheddar, which is wonderful, but not for melting. Uh, then our good friend, Paul Papadimitriou, uh, said, as I challenged people saying that macarons are overrated. I don't even know why I tweeted that. I just said, macarons are overrated. Come at me.
1: Yeah, and that sort of I sparked had, some some flame. Yeah, actually.
0: I, I have no idea why I said that. I wasn't even thinking. I don't. I didn't eat them. I didn't see them. I just felt... Like saying that. <laughs> Paul said, yeah, um, same. I think the same thing with nachos. And I think it turns out that he wants us to go and give him, you know, take him somewhere where we can get good nachos. It's hard to find that type of cheese, which makes it hard to get good nachos in areas that don't have it. I yeah. think our brother asked us, didn't he? He said, he asked Kenji and, and us, can you find that ballpark style nacho in the UK?
1: No, and and I think that the first three co- like comments we had here, including Andrew, sort of sum up that
0: <clears throat> we live in a golden Oh, wait a minute. what? We have to welcome our first our newest listener. We have a brand new listener to this to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope we get more than one for <laughs> we got one very important new listener. Oh, really? who is five pounds, eight ounces?: Oh, yeah, and our nephew. Uh, our our brother Andrew, his wife, and and he had a baby. On the it was the day before his own birthday. He there they yeah, yeah, it was, it was June twentieth. Yeah, they were they were twenty
1: minutes apart, being in, in having the same birthday.
0: Yeah, June June twentieth. Uh, and his name is Edward, and he's a little champion. So welcome to the world, Edward. We'll have you on a, uh, as a guest in a, in a couple of months or so. He'll be reviewing uh, baby food. <laughs> yeah, Ella's, which I'm sure he'll be into. My daughter's about to get into that. Anyway, sorry, Will. No, worries. <laughs> no worries.
1: Well, uh, well, our good friend in uh, in Western Australia, Joel. You, you're following uh, following a big statement there, but uh, Joel, who who we've mentioned on the podcast a couple times, who's in, who's in Perth, uh, kind of summed up the fact that you cannot get. Yeah, you know, that kind of cheese in 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 um, outside of America. He said after listening to to your podcast, uh, I came to the sad realization that every Mexican restaurant I've been to in Australia has no idea how to make nachos, purely because of the cheese they use and the lack of emulsification. One thing I want to say there is, um, you know, nachos are not Mexican. They're they're a purely invention, as we mentioned, of a of a Mexican serving two Americans. So I guess the golden rule is find Americans who think they're doing Mexican, and you might have a better shot than an actual yeah. Mexican place.
0: Or yeah, I think you go to any Mexican joint. You know, in in the US and they'll have nachos in the menu, but that's just to placate uh, the, the hungry masses alongside all of the other actual Mexican wonder that they're producing and they will be amazing as well. But I think you go into any sports bar, even probably an Applebee's will have a decent shot at nachos.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then um, our friend Pimp My Dibber which we took it a little further. Who was also, you know, not in the U.S., trying to recreate the the uh, Kenji style cheesy goodness that we talked about in the episode. He said, "I tried to make the Masticated Nation uh, nacho cheese sauce, and I effed it up, and it ended up like a tennis ball. Still ate it. Now in a cheese coma, watching Karate Kid 2. Uh, that's kind of like, you know, a full gamut of emotions right there. I kind of just imagine you just eating this emulsified tennis ball of
0: cheese and going, yeah, this is good. All right. Bye. Be fine. Yeah. And I wonder, did he like, what I would do if I had a tennis ball of cheese is I would smash up a bunch of tortilla chips and roll the ball in the tortilla chips. So you had like a crunchy outer
1: <laughs> It's like, crust. A Mex- like a Mexican scotch egg.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, Yes, with a jalapeno center core. It, yeah, and then liquid magma cheese, and like chorizo as the as the sausage meat. Oh, what what do we? Yeah.
1: I think we got something here.
0: Yeah, I do too. That's this is the newest <laughs> nacho for the ballpark.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, But, you know, it sounds like everyone had some, some good uh, some good feedback on the nachos and keep them coming. Uh, Paul, you're not allowed on the podcast until you recant uh, your heresy about nachos. Yeah, but you know what? If
0: you've only had nachos outside of the U.S., I can see why you'd be kind of like, eh, these are kind of gross. Yeah.
1: Um, we had some good um, iTunes reviews come in. Um, thank you very much. Keep them coming in. They help people find us. There was one from... T more four thousand. Uh, uh, the
0: old T more four thousand. Yeah. yeah, that's a great model.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was I was going more thinking of Andre three thousand and from Andre three
0: thousand. Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he said, uh, "Don't listen to an empty. Don't listen to on an empty stomach. Just binge listened three episodes, and I'm hooked." Heard about it from uh, listening to Layover's pod- podcast, and I'm glad I did. Uh, sounds like we're getting a lot of crossover, which is great. Welcome. more 4000, I'm waiting for the newest model. 5000 is going to be great. So uh, yeah, keep them coming in. A, that's, a, that's a great review. But I think you have one as well.
0: Yeah, I think uh, maybe this is Ross Manson. I'm just going out on a limb here because it's the username on 19s is 44 Manson. I don't know. I could be very, very wrong. Uh, I love this pod. I came in at episode L, another layover's listener welcome, and I've worked my way back to A. It's really cool to hear how Will and Alex see their food and how some things differ around the world and how some things really don't. That's a very pithy observation because you're absolutely spot on. <laughs> they have a great rapport, almost as if they were brothers. Ha <laughs> ha. They also know their food and Will's background research is fantastic. I have to tell you this, dear listener, it's not research. It's it's just Embedded in his brain, it just he just spews it out, even if there's no one listening, like on a on public transport. <laughs> he just starts spewing out food facts. It's I kind of
1: I, I was actually at a bar, uh, a brewery with my father in law and, and wife last weekend, and my wife does this uh bit of a party trick and goes and grabs trivial pursuit, which are often at like craft breweries, and she'll just pull out random cards and start asking me. And uh my father in law just looks at me like I'm some sort of freak. It's kind of strange.
0: <laughs> Well your nickname i uh, you know, for better or worse is wiki will, so yeah, citations needed, yeah <laughs> you should get that t shirt uh so yeah, that was really nice to hear and and some some tweets of people discovering the podcast for the first time o r d to anywhere who is a very very familiar listener to any of you that listen to to layovers said that uh i and actually he's introduced me to a bunch of different podcasts as well he's li- listening listing some of the podcasts that he listens to. Mist in History. Have you ever heard that one?
1: Yeah. Is that, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's part of the Stuff You Should Know spin off,
0: uh, which was the uh, next one. Yeah. Cause he, yeah. Cause he says the stuff you should know, which is actually one of the fir- first podcasts I ever started listening to. I love those guys.
1: Well, ORD to anywhere. Um, um, in a previous life, I used to help drive their revenue uh we used to work i used to work for discovery channel or discovery communications and that for a while there stuff you should know fell under our remit and i got to work with those guys from time to time not the actual hosts but their sales team
0: oh, that's yeah they, they they're doing really well yeah and they just they they've kept it real as it were yeah. um Amateur traveler, count uh counting country, dots, lines, and layovers very kindly. And they call us, Bruce, for Asian American badassery, and I'm quoting there. So loads of great podcast recommendations. If you actually if you have any podcast recommendations around food or travel or anything else, just hit us up with them on Twitter at MasticationNTN, because we love hearing about stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then Ken Peace, at Ken Peace, new podcast to list Mastication Nation catching up. Welcome, Ken. And then Ross – ah, Ross had this idea that he – he that you found, which I think is an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. So
1: Ross Mason said, uh, guys, for the second round of A to Z – hey, that's still up in the air. <laughs> Would you consider doing the best fruit from countries and cities? The best thing about traveling is the food and every city or country has their own delicacy. It would be uh, great to hear all about them. Yes, and okay, let me put it this way. Mastication Nation was something that I had an idea for about 10 years ago, and it took Alex pulling me into the 21st century to actually start doing something with it. The other thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time that I have never actually got around to is learning the national dish of every single country in the world. This could be an opportunity to sort of merge those two things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We could do, we could do like cities or, or countries for the next round, uh, journey around the horn. So, yeah. Good idea, Ross. I dig it. Yeah, and if you are
1: looking for something like that, uh, where they go through alphabetically, go check out um, the YouTube channel Geography Now.
0: Oh, that's a great channel.
1: Yeah, Barbie over there, uh, lovely dude, is going through the uh, the UN handbook, A through Z, giving you an update on an episode on each individual country, and it's a lot of information. They just had to go back and break their alphabetical rule, bit um, like us because Swaziland officially changed their name to uh, Eswatini, beginning with an E. Um, So they had to go back and rectify that. But like, you know, the alphabetical geography thing and food, we're very into. So thanks for the idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, great idea. It it merges all of the things that we're obviously passionate about. So stay tuned. We are more than halfway around the horn. So uh, we need to start thinking about that already. So here I have a question for you. What is the temperature outside of your house right now?
1: it's like i looked at this morning. it's like 67 degrees but it was hot either day other day
0: why because it's 84 degrees here in, in the uk and, and we're not are a country yeah we, we no no the, the the roads are literally melting the railway lines are bending and the old people are dying it's it yeah it, it we, the country comes to a halt when it gets to, it gets this warm our houses are not designed for it So it's, it's it's, don't, I love it. It's fantastic, but it's, we've had a, we had a lovely day yesterday. We had a hot and humid day today, which my youngest son and I spent at an air show eating curried goat. Nice. One does at an air show. So I ask you that because I think weather often dictates what one is imbibing. (laughs) So what are you imbibing on this Sunday, the first of July?
1: I'm actually drinking a glass of uh, Sonoma Valley Chardonnay from Cundy Winery, which is the winery that we're members of up in, up in Kenwood in Sonoma. And it's very nice. Um, my, I, as I mentioned, my, my mother in law is in town. And so while I've been working all week, my wife and uh, mother in law had gone up to Sonoma. Picked up our usual shipment of six uh, bottles every quarter or so, but then um, we're, let's say, uh, upsold to a case of very reasonable Chardonnay. So we now have nice. 12 bottles of Chardonnay in our house.
0: Very nice. Yes. That's awesome.
1: How about you? Uh, yeah. how, how are you staying cool? Because I know it's probably not cooling off at night.
0: Uh, well, sir, uh, <laughs> the <Netflix> <laughs> <land>. <laughs> I'll tell you. Because it's so hot, I am drinking a very, very cold bottle of Picari Sweat.
1: Oh, dude. Can you get that there or did you bring it over?
0: Sir Greg Barnes brought it back for me from Osaka on his last trip with Bonobo. Uh, And uh, I love this stuff. And actually, our good friend in Japan, Joseph Tame, who's worked on a few episodes of of Attaché with us, uh, has spent some time working with them, with the, the people at Picari. And it has such an awesome story. Because it's, it's, A, it's it's good for you. It does what it's supposed to do, which is... It's what planks uh, crave. Yeah, it's exactly what, yeah. But it's not manufactured by one of the big beverage companies. It's manufactured by a pharmaceutical company. That and, concerns me. Well, here's... No, it's not. It's cool. Because, uh, and the company's called Otsuka, O-T-S-U-K-A. A researcher of theirs 40 g- years ago was in Mexico and he had a touch of the old Montezuma's Revenge. And was in – are we allowed to say that, so? Is that, is that PC? Could shit through the eye of a needle, as they say in the UK. Uh, and he was hospitalized. And the doctor was telling him he needed to give – to get as much water and, and nutrition as he could. But the doctors were just giving him soda. And so he was like, well, hang on a second. There's got to be a better way to do this. And then a few years later, the same dude saw a doctor drinking a pouch of IV solution. Mm. To rehydrate himself after finishing a cert sur- like a, a really long surgical procedure, he's like, "Well, hold on a second. There's got to be a way to make IV solutions when we need to rehydrate patients drinkable, so we don't have to to tap a vein." And he came up as, with the company with Picari Sweat, and it it does all the stuff that IV solutions are supposed to do, except it's bloody delicious.
1: Um, do you remember when when I passed out trying to get blood drawn?
0: Yes, you could have done with the Picari sweat.
1: Well, they gave me something very similar to it that they give to hysterical pregnant women when they pass out, and it basically tasted somewhat similar. And it was like medical bottle, though, so maybe it is somewhat the same idea. That
0: probably was sucrose. Yeah, that actually it, it
1: was. It was a glucose solution, but like it's funny that like basically these sugar waters and these uh, electrolyte waters, you know, made by pharmaceutical companies, actually have a mass market appeal.
0: Yeah, it, 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 30 million uh, bottles were distributed free because people, like, you know, when they first came out with it in 1980, they were like, I don't want... No, no, it's not so much that because the word is something different in, in Japanese. Uh, it's it's what you're getting back as opposed to what you're putting out. Uh-huh. Picari doesn't mean anything. Right. But it, the, the context of the word is, is slightly different in Japanese. But they gave out 30 million bottles of it just because people, a ion supply drink is what they called it people like what the hell is this Mm -hmm. and now they sell like an extraordinary amount and every time i go to anywhere in asia i drink gallons of this stuff (laughs) i
1: i just love it
0: so yes that's what i'm drinking right now
1: awesome so i guess with that in mind uh what is the best thing you you've eaten since uh we last recorded and i'm willing to open that up to be post inclusive of like you know past the boarding episode when
0: did we last record? We last recorded the Bourdain episode on, like... When did we last record a full episode of Maskation?
1: Oh, like June 1st or something like that.
0: Uh, so, I have been to... Are you ready? Yes, and this is all the, within the last uh, six weeks. Since we last recorded, yeah. So, the Netherlands, Russia, Miami, Monterey, Mexico, Texas, Dublin, Malta, Hong Kong, Prague... And Zagreb, Croatia.
1: I have been to nowhere. That is amazing. <laughs> that is incredible.
0: And I'm very tired and my children don't recognize me. <laughs> but I will tell you, and I ate some wonderful food and you'll see perhaps some of the dishes I ate maybe on YouTube somewhere some, sometime soon. I think the best thing I ate was in Monterey, Mexico. I would never really spent much time in Mexico outside of, uh, not Cancun, about an hour and a half south of Cancun, but it wasn't, it was on a resort. I was in Monterey, which is the third biggest city in Mexico and is very um, industrial and not in a bad way. It's like the Pittsburgh, perhaps, of Mexico. And if there are any Mexicans listening, please tell me if that's a fair – and I'm not saying that to be positive or negative. It just is what it is. But I was enchanted by it. And I met some some folks that work in the food services industry who took me to uh, this wonderful restaurant. And I think I showed you the picture of the ribeye chicharron hmm On top of the guacamole. Um, But the best thing I ate when I was there was cabrito. Which I Uh, think you also sent me a photo of. Of course I sent you a picture (laughs) of every dish I ate. Cabrito is uh, roast goat kid. Uh, And they do it, like they splay it on like a, uh, instead of doing it on a rotisserie, it's like splayed up on a stick. And then lent over uh, an open charcoal fire and then rotated slowly and i went to this place uh like walking distance from the the place i was staying and but in in english it was the king of cabrito and it was you get like you can order shoulder or you can order leg or the head or basically any part of the goat you want and they bring it to you with uh with tortillas and all these salsas and and various vegetables and it was divine absolutely divine
1: yeah, the photos looked amazing, and and I think that this is a perfect example of why uh, certain national foods can get homogenized into their cliche form. And like this is real Mexican food. Not saying that others aren't, but like this should be as famous as uh, a taco or you know. Yeah. Burrito. Well, it's
0: it's in it's indigenous to Monterey. It is their food, and what I had was cabrito al pastor, which is the style of of splaying it over. Uh, on the spit, but it, oh my God, it was otherworldly. And the people there were so nice. Uh, I, I can I loved Monterey. I absolutely adored it. I ate an uncomfortable amount of food there, but it, that was the best thing of all the stuff I've eaten. If I felt my Spanish was better, I'd be spending way more time in Mexico. Uh, I just need you to don't need to, I know need to. I, need I need to, to get over the, that. That's the joy. Like, you know, you can, that, that's the thing about travel. Like I don't speak, my Cantonese is getting better and I had a lot of fun in Hong Kong, but I my Spanish is useless. It's worse than yours, I can assure you. And you just point and you smile, and people, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And like, you know, I, I'm I'm going to France. I'm going to, I obviously spend a lot of time in Asia, and in, in certain areas of Africa as well. And that's never stopped me. And I don't know why. I think, oh, you know, Spanish is so much harder. And it's like, no, it's just like no. you know, the international
0: symbol of like just point and smile. <laughs> Yeah and I you know the words are obviously familiar in Google Translate. I'll tell you what I say really quickly before I want to hear what you've been eating. My Spanish is lousy and it's 45 minute drive from my hotel to the airport and my my taxi driver and I had a 45 minute conversation. He didn't speak a word of English. We talk we would use the Google Translate app and I would talk into it and it would translate out loud to him because obviously he couldn't type because he was driving, and then he would talk in it. We talked about food. We talked mix. about Mexican politics. We talked about the World Cup. We talked about the Champions League final, which was happening that day for 45 minutes. So there's language is not a barrier to travel.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if Gareth Bale can live in Spain uh, and make it work, anyone can do it. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so what have I? What's the best thing I've been eating? Uh, I've I've eaten a lot. It's definitely that time of year where I'm eating a lot of like I'm grilling a lot. I'm cooking a lot for other people have had lots of guests coming um, did some great uh, uh seafood recently, been just dis- like destroying in a good way, um, some really amazing salmon. But the best thing I've had, I want to say, because it was more of an experience, Um, my, my friend Tall Dan was in town uh, from Canada, and uh, he, he is tall, he's like 6'5", and it's great because you can never miss him. But he was in town for work, and we were going to get dinner and tossing around some ideas, and last minute, I was able to snag a reservation at... Uh, the Wayfair Tavern in San Francisco, which is very difficult to get into, and I have no idea how I was able to do it last minute. And uh, so we arrive, and oh, I arrive a little early, and I walk in and it's like, oh yeah, I'm here, um, five minutes early, and I got a bit of like a bit of a bums rush, I guess. Like you know, they were like, okay, we'll we'll talk to you when your whole party's here, which is weird for San Francisco. But I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So um, Dan arrives, and he's like, yeah, my my coworkers are like. How did you get reservations? I'm like I oh, don't know. It's a Monday, I guess. Just we we worked it out. Uh, so we, we go upstairs to this one. There's a downstairs bar and eating area, but there's also an upstairs sort of landing that they turned into a, a dining area as well. And we had a very, let's just say, um, gregarious French waiter, and uh, uh. who was amazing. And we sort of talked about it, and we didn't know what we wanted, and he was like, "We're gonna get order some wine." And he was like, what are you eating? He was like, well, we think we want the uh, Syrah. uh, Syrah, sorry. He was like, no, I asked you, what are you eating? And I was like, okay, we're kind of thinking about this. And he was like, good. This is the wine you'll be getting. I'm like, okay. Uh, They're famous for their chicken, their fried chicken. Apparently, Food and Wine Magazine named it the best fried chicken in the country. Um, So we got that, but they also wanted something else. And they did this amazing lamb dish on a... um, on a bean puree, and uh, what they did was they added an extra piece of chicken to our order, split the chicken between the two of us, and they had the lamb as the centerpiece in the middle, and it was phenomenal. So if you ever get a chance to go to Wayfair Tavern, go. It's so much, good. it's it's fantastic, and it's fun.
0: Yeah, well, I think that makes for a good restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I like I like assertive, but knowledgeable. I think those have to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm uh, wait, wait staff who will dissuade you from making a bad choice or steer you or just flat out say, uh, I, we're not, no, (laughs) (laughs) or I'm going to do this for you and it's going to be amazing. And if you hate it, then it's on me. Absolutely.
1: And I think that they, that, that guy has, if someone's doing that for me at RB, I mean at uh, uh, TGI whatever's, then I'm not going to trust him. But, uh, at somewhere like that, I'm definitely going
0: to take his lead. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. That's cool. I have to check it out. I'm going to be in California for for, for a little bit over the summer, so I'm going to make sure I do that. Um, well, I think that
1: nicely rounds us out and brings us to what we're actually here to talk about, which was something that I think we had locked and ready to go before we switched things up last
0: uh, two weeks ago. We we did, and I think we were reluctant to do it for for a few reasons. We sort of we settled on it because, like, yeah, I guess it's the most logical thing to do, but we we both. Have kind of a strange relationship with this with this O that we're going to be discussing here in episode one X or whatever we decided it is. <laughs>
1: one seventeen is an official number, I think we're going to call this one. All right, cool. Uh so O is for olive oil. Olive oil. Yes, not olives. Yes. and that will become apparent soon. And fortunately, I uh, hope you didn't do all your research just on the on the humble olive because this might be awkward.
0: No, I did not because uh, I, I, okay, I'm just gonna say I don't like olives. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried over and over again because I'm not one to say I don't like a, an entire thing. I just don't care for olives. Yeah. However you make them. I'm not massive into them as well. And they,
1: I know that they come in so many different varieties and so many different preparations. Um, My wife will just eat. Go to the olive bar and just eat them, um, which I cannot do. I find them too bitter, um, and I find the black, you know, varieties like just too salty. Um, the one caveat I will say is I don't dislike them on a good pizza. Yeah, that me too. I think it's the the, the
0: saltiness too. juxtaposed. And there's the a lot creaminess. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on on a pizza as well if you're having olives on it, but. I don't like them. I try, every time they've put in front of me or they're served uh, like an olive br,ow like sure I'll take a I'll take a whack. I've never had those ones before. Nope. So I just I don't know what it is. So I can wax lyrical about like olives, but we're here to talk about
1: olive oil. You know, on o- olive oil, and I love this. I never you never think about oil in this term, but olive oil is a liquid fat. <laughs> it just sounds weird.
0: As all the good things in life are <laughs> liquid fat, uh, and, but- and 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 we, we should we should we should. Go in right now and say, we both love olive oil. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry, I was
1: taking a glass of a sip of my, my lovely Chardonnay.
0: That's weird, though, isn't it? That that doesn't sound – because you're literally – it's just – olive oil is just olive juice, <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. You just squeeze it out. No, you didn't get my joke there. Uh, yeah, if yeah, You yeah, say yeah. olive yeah, juice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hor, hor, hor,
1: hor. <laughs> um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a liquid fat expressed Express by pressing olives. I, there are some caveats there, and we'll get into that, because the way you express the oil out of the olive makes a massive impact on what it becomes, how it's classified, what kind of uh, flavors you're getting, and so on and so forth. But going back to olives real quick, they are droops, which are otherwise known as stone fruits, uh, which basically means that they have a hard, par- hard um, seed, stone... Whatever inside them, uh, inside the fleshiness, as opposed to the opposite way where the seeds on their outside, like you know your strawberries, and it is a fruit. Even though I kind of would have thought about it, and I don't know why, culinarily a vegetable, but that's so wrong. It is at least olive oils are uh, at least eight thousand years old, and are probably, along with cheese, the oldest man-made product uh, in the world. Um, I think it's just been around forever. Wow. There, there's there's um, a, a tablet or, or some writings in, in Aleppo that basically they've, they've been able to say that they've traced this one – they've been able to trace this one producer for thousands upon thousands of years. And actually, I think it's also in Syria. They have the oldest known vi- – like uh, remaining vial of it. And it's like two and a half thousand years old, something ridiculous like that. But it's Mediterranean in origin obviously. I mean, it's where we think it comes from and actually does come from there. And, you know, it, 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 it's it got long traditions with all those countries. Uh, Crete for some reason has a long cultural history with it, but actually didn't even get to Crete until like 5,000 years ago. Um, you know, the 8,000 years were more sort of like the uh, eastern Mediterranean area. So it is ancient. And as you can understand, it colors the Social economic development of the entire world through that period and through that area.
0: Yeah, it even lubricates the development of the.
1: Yeah, it absolutely. It was for a while even the currency of choice for a lot of places as well. Wow. But it it's so I look at it as like basically the original and ultimate multitasker. Like I mentioned, it's being used for food, uh, cooking, which we'll get into. Uh, fuel. It was used in the original Olympic torches Um, and cosmetics. You use it in soaps, in, you know, in, in makeups, in all sorts of things that you want the properties of the olive oil, which we'll get into, but are really good for you.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the purest things on earth, I think because of how simple it is, how universal it is, how far back it goes in our history and 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 that sort of associated ubiquity yeah as well yeah
1: um so real quick last thing on the on the on the olives themselves do you know the difference between a green olive and a black
0: olive they're both the difference yes uh, no, they're equally awful. <laughs>
1: uh, it's kind of like the difference between a, a green and a yellow banana. They're exactly the same thing. Um, they've both been able to grow to the size that they're supposed to. But green olives are picked uh, prior to turning black. Um, so they're exactly the same thing. The only difference is just maturity. So, And green ones are just ridiculous. Re- ridiculously bitter, and even if you're going to be using them for eating, consuming them, you cannot eat them straight off the tree. You have to put them, and this may be uh, furthering your dislike of them. You have to soak them in a lye solution just to make them edible.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't hate them. I don't resent them. I just don't like the way they taste. You resent them. Uh, these olives have nothing for me. Well, yeah, there's some things you're just like. and Actually, it doesn't really happen very often with food, but I don't, I don't dislike olives the way i dislike cruise ships it's not, it's not, it's not a visceral hatred it's just like uh, eh, you know i'm just not these aren't my thing and that's fine
1: so an olive tour of the mediterranean on a cruise ship is your ultimate nightmare
0: yeah <laughs> except for the mediterranean bit as long as you know i just they're not, I, i've tried i've tried and i've tried and i've tried maybe and i will keep trying maybe one day something will happen i'll be like oh my god
1: yeah the right application Okay, so here's a little quiz for you and and the audience. And I, I purposely left the uh, the note blank here just in case you were going to peek. So, listener, feel free to stop here and, and submit your answer on Twitter, and then we'll see if you're right. Uh, what country produces 1.7 million tons of olive oil annually and is more production than all other olive oil, oil producing countries combined? Country? Yeah, I can put the Japanese music in if we need to.
0: I'm going to say it'll be between Italy, Spain, France, Morocco and the independent Republic of California. <laughs> so
1: basically you're like saying, where does wine come from and like list all four same, same environment No it really it really, it really is all right. I'm going to have to narrow it and get you to narrow it down What is the country that produces sixty five percent uh I'm going to go with oh actually sorry it's fifty one percent
0: of Spain. The world.
1: Out of the dark, he gets it. That was shocking to me. First of all, I don't ever see Spain marketed olive oil on, on shelves until kind of recently, actually. But Italy does a really good job of like making, it, making them think that Italian olive oil is the be-all and end-all.
0: When you go to the supermarket in the UK, you get big old liter bottles of olive oil. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say where it's from. Uh, is perfectly fine for, for cooking. I think that there is a, uh, it's the same with wine, right? It's, 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 you can go and get, you know, look for very specific varietals and regions of, of, of olive oil. But the, the table wine, quote unquote, of olive oil is also, perfectly fine as well in most cases and that like you say often comes from spain
1: yeah no i, I agree but there is a little, little um subterfuge going on here so one country imports 65% of Sp- imports. imports one country imports 65% of spanish uh, olive oil exports any guesses italy absolutely right. And they are getting in serious trouble with the EU because they're blending it and then marketing it back to the world as Italian olive oil. Oh,
0: cheeky. Yeah, so they're going to like... Which is a little... It's very cheeky, actually, because the Italians uh, and, and and rightly so have been the biggest proponents of these these regional restrictions and protectorates for things like uh, Parma ham and a few others, just like you know Champagne and and various other things like that. Scotch, um, so yeah, the EU. It's has kind a, of ironic that they're the ones doing that. The EU has
1: something ridiculous like a. 50 million euro task force to try and combat this and any like uh, information leading to the, you know, uh, ending of this practice is highly sought after. So uh, bear in mind if you I mean, I don't think they have to by law mention if it's a blend of olive oil, but just keep an eye on it. So I think that kind of nicely brings us to how to find your olive oil and like knowing where to get good olive oil, which I think you had some some thoughts on.
0: Yeah, I, th- I I love uh, Kenji. What Kenji Lopez out says about this, which is asking what olive oil you should buy, is similar to asking what knife you should use, what car to drive, or what Beatles al- album you listen to. You should listen to first. It's largely a matter of personal taste. And once you've kind of found that base level of acceptable quality, whether you want an oil, and they do they do taste very different. Something you know, buttery or grassy. Uh, you can then start to figure out what you want, and I think the the best way, as he says, and basically common sense says, is do it like you would do the wine. Go to places that allow you to taste wine, and most decent places that sell or produce olive oil will, of course, let you mm-hmm. yeah, let you sample it, and you find find what you like. Of course, it depends on the application. If you're going to be if you're going to be cooking, then maybe you want something a little bit more benign and subtle. Uh, if it's going to be something you're going to have, you know as a shot uh, <laughs> or, you know, with some, just some bread or, or any other um, cold application. Uh, yeah. Cold application. Yeah. Like, like, like it's part of a base vinaigrette or something like that, or even uh, you know, just with some bread, then you, you, you perhaps want something different and a little bit more vibrant, but yeah, taste it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
0: <laughs> Taste it and and
1: go somewhere that's going to have a high turnover because it is a fat and it can go rancid and it does have a shelf life. So don't go anywhere that you think that oh, this unlike wine, you don't want a dusty
0: bottle. <laughs> so yeah, no, you don't. And I think you know storage is an important thing. I think what's interesting is you can just again like wine. There are a lot of similarities both in the the, the regions that produce good olive oil, the uh, required climate, the required uh, soil conditions, and how that is then harvested and produced and bottled. It, it, the, the parallels to wine are not uh, uncoincidental. So you know, like we said, Spain, Italy, France, California are all huge producers of it, but they do produce very different flavors for those same reasons—the mm-hmm. uh, the the soil and all that stuff. So generally, the Spanish ones. Run the gamut, but they're kind of grassier, which in a, in a good way. Italian ones are are very uh, much richer and and uh, almost creamier, you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can almost get in California. I don't know if you've experienced this. The sort of almost it almost has a spice to it.
1: Yeah, like, like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because a lot of the there up in Sonoma and Napa there are olive oil producers, and you can go up and you know try them as if you were trying wine. And I absolutely know that what you're talking about. There's a sort of zing, the citrus. I think it's a citrusness more than than a spiciness on on um, California, but that might just be the areas I've been to.
0: Um, you should talk about. When, you, when you're looking at a bottle of olive oil, you'll see a lot of different things on there. Virgin, extra virgin, first cold press, pure, uh, light. The, <laughs> the, they, what did those mean and what should you look for and what should you avoid?
1: So let me back up and actually explain the process of actually making olive oil because all those terms sort of factor into – they not kind of. Those terms are impacted by how the olive oil is expressed, bottled, and created. So <clears throat> at a base level, we're not talking about how we're going to do this right now, but how people do it, the the uh, fruit is taken from the tree. It is sorted, washed, and then put into um, uh, some variety of masher to break down the olives into almost like a a, a, a mash like you would see in, in, in beer creation, and then that fruit mash whatever you want to call it is then pressed through either a traditional old style um what's what I'm looking for pump style you know you pump it and increase the tension or spun to expel the oil from it and that's where the oil comes from but if the oil, if the creation of that oil or if the environment be it through friction, through outside influences such as temperature or just any other way that you're doing it. The environment increases, creates the uh, temperature to be above uh, 27 degrees Celsius or 80 degrees Fahrenheit. The resulting liquid cannot be called cold press. Cold Mm -hmm. press refers to the creation of the oil uh, in an environment where that does not happen. And it, where it basically the heat destroys aromatics. It destroys some of the uh, unctuousness of it all. Um, And that also, you, you touched on one right there, which was first press, Cold press, which basically means it's the first time the the fruit has gone through this process and has not gone above 27 degrees. You can then rerun that same stuff, you know, a second time, and you may need to put more pressure into it to extract any residual, and you're likely to go over the the 27 degrees Celsius uh, mark there. So it's very rare to see cold press second press or something along those lines and that level of information on a bottle is kind of rare unless you're in a very specific region i wonder what happens at 27 degrees it's not a bad thing it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing but certain enzymes from from okay look you'll get it'll become less cloudy which is arguably a good thing uh you'll deflower some of the notes. And I use that word euphemistically as well, because it's no longer an ex- te- technically an extra virgin olive oil. Um, it, right. it becomes um, it also can release a, certain, certain, a situation where the acid level increases. Um, and so the official terminology on extra virgin olive oil, virgin olive oil and regular olive oil come down to the level of um, uh, oleic acid in, in the final product and so the IOC standards on this are anything that is extra virgin oil would have to be
0: uh, 0.8 uh, grams of oleic acid per 100 we, grams. We should say what the IOC is, International Olive Oil Council. Yes.
1: <laughs> and, and put all the stereotypes out of your mind about who works there. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah so, the, the, so that oleic acid um, is supposed to – the lower is supposed to have a better flavor – um, compared to normal virgin olive oil, uh-huh. uh, so and it's since it's a little bit more of a ball ache to make the extra virgin olive oil, yep, uh, it only accounts for like five to ten percent of an of a country's output on average. So it, that's why it's more expensive, generally.
1: Yeah, and then so, but also because it's better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's it's good for a lot of stuff, um, and can be used for things that you may not think about, like they can be used for certain kinds of hot application cooking, um, but virgin olive oil is anything that is uh, between that zero point eight and two grams of uh, oleic uh, acid per hundred grams, and anything above that with different degrees of ordinary virgin olive oil to a point where um, I, th- I can't remember the exact amount of percentage. It becomes non-consumable olive oil, which is used in industrial processes and, and cosmetics, uh, which you would never really come across um, unless you're making your own cosmetics or something like that. Uh, but- as far as cooking is concerned, I actually encourage people to, to to look at virgin olive oil if you can find it. Often it's harder to, to see in supermarkets as opposed to extra virgin olive oil You know, to be used in a hot application because as you're getting rid of those impurities due to the heat or due to the amount of acid that's in there, it becomes more resilient and, and more on that in, in a second. Uh, but the extra virgin olive oil is your go-to standard what jamie olive is going to be putting forth for you to use in your vinaigrettes your salads dressings and just have around the house in general I mean, i think what is it, rachel ray made her living off evoo as her just like catchphrase so you know it is the most common uh and it's tasty
0: <laughs> yeah and i think the uh, important thing to point out before we move on is when you see light uh, on olive oil, it's got nothing to do with the calorie content. What is it? I actually don't o- know this. It's it's only the flavor. So they actually they they uh, they press the olives again uh, after the good stuff's been taken out, or they've been heated to extract more oil. Got it. So, um, but then it's refined. So the you don't get the 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 flavor compounds mm-hmm. um, that you would in the extra virgin or virgin olive oil. So you it doesn't taste like a lot, but compared to reg virgin or extra virgin olive oil it has a much higher smoke point, which we'll get onto uh, in a second. But
1: yeah, look, virgin. I mean, uh, uh, olive oil is incredibly good for you. Let's put it this way: unlike things that we try to justify from time to time and not not terrible for you in small doses, like a burger or whatever. Th- Olive oil has been around for, like I mentioned, millennia, and everybody has thought it's been good for them. And now over the last 20 years, you're like, oh, olive oil, you need to cut that out of your diet. No. It is the basis of why the highest uh, age of, of, of life expectancy in the Mediterranean is what it is because mm-hmm. it's high in amino acids, high in anti-inflammatory flavonoids. It's high in everything that is good for you, especially monounsaturated fats. And that is – why you should never do anything that is like fat free or light or just trying to get around it just do it in olive oil is fine
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no it's 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 good stuff and i think um there there was a weird movement to avoid using it in in many instances other than because it was almost too good it was like you know, using a, you know, a Chateau de Lafitte in, in your Beuf Bourguignon, you know, mm-hmm. when it's, it's nothing, it's not like that. I think as it's become more uh, of a commodity and more available and more democratized, you know, you get the Tesco own extra virgin olive oil, you know, a couple of quid for a liter of it. Uh, and, and it's fine. And I use it to cook with, uh, and it's got, the, it's got a nice balance of of, of of flavor and versatility and robustness, I think is probably the best thing. So it's not gonna, it's not gonna ruin a dish, nor is it going to take it stratospheric.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one last thing to touch touch upon on the um the manufacturing of it, um, you'll obviously notice that it's either in in green or, or brown bottles, much like uh wine, and it's to to protect the 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 stuff the, the product from UV light, um, but Basically, you, the way you want to store it once you get home is in a cool, dry, dark environment, which can be anything from a lotter if you live in England, you know, your pantry, um, root cellar, um, to the point where I know people who have decent cold consumption olive oil who will store it in their wine cooler. And it gets cloudy, but the moment it gets back up to room temperature for application, it it resolves itself, and it's not a bad sign if it gets cloudy
0: yeah so basically don't store it next to your your oven stove, yeah, which so many people do, which I guess, and you can understand why because it's that's where you're gonna be using it well, let's but, get on to, to, th-
1: let's get on to that actually so I think that a lot of people for the longest time have been using some variety of um vegetable oil, which if you want to know how vegetable oil is made, I highly encourage you to learn how to make it and then vegetable oils become this kind of catch-all term for anything from canola oil, rapeseed oil, soybean oil, and you really need to know what your vegetable oil is because it can be really bad for you. But they're using chemicals and high amounts of pressure and, and heat to create and render a liquid that is basically odorless, can be, and be used for absolutely anything and has no flavor whatsoever, but it's usually used for really high heat applications. But that's not to say that olive oil cannot be used for something that you would um, usually grab the canola oil for. It it basically comes down to, as I was alluded to, the smoke point. While the smoke point is a real thing, I don't want to put too much stock in, in telling you numbers because it is so subjective based on um, you know, the atmospheric pressure, your how old the oil is, how many times you've used it, so on and so forth. But as a general rule, the fruitier and tastier and more aromatic oils have a very low have a lower smoke point as opposed to the more refined, which has a higher smoke point. And that basically means the temperature at which the oil starts to break down, corrode, and starts to smoke, at which point it becomes, you know, not usable to an extent. You can get back to that in a second. Um, so olive oil it can be used in really high heat applications like sautéing if it's done quickly. You don't want to be using it for like very, very long cooking environments because uh, it's just going to start breaking down. But sautéing is perfect for it just putting it into the pan, heating it up really, really hot, and then doing your five to six, seven minutes of sauteing your vegetables. And I want to touch upon some people out there who were like, oh, I'm trying to cut back in calories. I don't want to use oil. Would you ever drive your car 20,000 miles without putting any oil in it? No, you would destroy the engine. So what olive oil does or oil does in the heat in this environment is, you know, your your pan may look clean, it may look Perfectly smooth, but it's actually pitted with tiny, tiny little bits of uh, microscopic uh, uh, holes and divots and cracks. And if you put food in there, it's going to create friction and it's going to stick. So what oil is doing is it's filling in all those cracks uh, and, and creating a smooth surface this is why you prep um, cast iron skillets to become nonstick. You use oil to do that. Uh, oil helps the, um, you know, uh, it hits, it's a great uh, heat absorber and can more evenly move heat towards the food, which is why you use oil to brown food as well. So if you're trying to cut out oil, for health reasons, you're basically ruining your food
0: <laughs> I feel like we're getting to the end I hope of the fat is evil chapter, which is such a it's it's a it's a it's a misguided almost evil piece of <laughs> uh, of corporate <laughs> it's misinformation yeah. it's 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 pure fiction that that fat is bad for us if you inject pure beef fat into your eyeballs, bad things will happen but as part of a of a balanced diet to dust off a trite old meme it's it's fine it's good for you and it's important and i think it then becomes as you say such a versatile and important component of uh, of not just cooking but also flavor and texture and mouthfeel and all of that with food food in general without fat and lubricant from fat would be just bad yeah no absolutely and look monounsaturated fats
1: versus super terrible trans fats are different things basically the golden rule is if you know the name of the animal or plant that fat came from it can trace a one to two step process to get it from the animal or the or the plant to you it's good if mm-hmm. you can't it's bad <laughs> that's kind of the yeah, golden rule. No, I think that sounds about right but we've touched upon this a little bit flavor versus resilience so, you have to make a decision on what you're going to be using that oil for. As Alex mentioned, you're not going to be using a Chateau Neuf de Pop in your uh, red wine reduction sauce for your Friday night grill session. It's that, that wine is going to be, you know, used as a, a as an archetype of the perfect, uh, you know, perfect form of, of wine. So, you drink it as is. As much as an olive oil that is a cold press first run, you want to use that as an ingredient on its own, so you're dipping olive oil. You're dipping bread into it. You're using it in a uh, cold vinaigrette, or you're, uh, you know, preserving olive oil uh, olives in it. That is yep. fantastic. And but then the more refined the oil becomes, you can move into. You know, uh, not having to worry about it so much, and to the point where I've seen people fry potato chips in olive in olive oil, in not obviously extra virgin, but down to your regular consumable olive oil.
0: Do you think that it it drastically f- uh, or or changes the flavor of the dish more than other commonly used oils?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because. Because um, your vegetable oils aren't going to be doing anything as far as flavor-wise. They're just emulsifiers, basically. Um, The one caveat that I would throw out there, which in some arguments, in some research I've done, is as old as olive oil, is sesame oil. And that will impact the flavor of your dish probably even more. But you're
0: not really supposed to cook with that. You're supposed to throw it on right at the end of the, of the dish.
1: That is toasted sesame, sesame oil. Apparently, regular refined uh, sesame oil, which is kind of rare to find, it can be used in, in cooking applications. Mm. Which I've never oh. I've never done. I've only ever used it toasted, which I'm, you know, obviously has already gone through a pretty aggressive process and therefore yeah. does not have a great smoke point. But I don't know, I'll report back to you. I'll try and find some unrefined or yes nice. un, un untreated um uh, sesame oil. So how do you use it? I use it about 17 times a day. <laughs> I use it in my marinades. I use it um, in salad dressings. I use it generally as my go-to cooking oil, unless I'm doing something long, slow, and aggressive. Um, I don't usually have a high-quality bottle in the house unless it's summertime and I know that I'm going, you know, to be hosting some friends with a with a big platter of crudités and stuff like that so i generally use it in marinades and as my heating application as my main
0: things yeah i think again there's a lot of this um, back and forth around if you heat it too high then it starts to get bitter but i use it almost exclusively i use this sort of like i said the the, the tesco throwing olive oil for my cooking lubricant uh if you will it's got a more elegant way of saying that it's also great um, in
1: sauces so, you know, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and I and I would probably use it as the base of a vinaigrette as well. But it, I love to have some really good um, crusty bread cut up into reasonable sizes, um, have some really, really good, probably quite expensive olive oil uh, and a good Modena, Modena, balsamic vinegar and some sea salt in separate containers. Um, and that is just such a great way to have just a glass of, with a glass of wine or the start. I don't really like to have it as start of a meal because I think it um, it's too much. But it's you really appreciate how delicious olive a good olive oil is when you have it like that, and there's nothing to get in the way than the just the the bread as a sort of starch delivery mechanism. Yeah, and then a great when oh, when we were in Sal Grab filming, Greg and I had this amazing. Modena balsamic vinegar that was like, you know, so dark that light could not escape its surface. Uh, and that with a really good olive oil and some bread, it's just, and some barata, some uh, world ending of, for which Croatia is famous. Uh, barata uh, was divine. Absolutely divine.
1: I am I, very envious of you, but the, uh, one of the things I, I want to touch upon as a cautionary tale slash it can be amazing Um, due to it's, it's being fat. Basically um, you, you will also also, sorry, you will always see in high end touristy boutiques, like flavored olive oils. And, you know, Mm. and here's the thing Um, it, a lot of flavor compounds are fat soluble and that. Absorbs into the liquid very, very well. Um, knowing what works in fat soluble entirely, I don't have a list of everything, but things like your chili, your lime, your yeah, lemon, yeah. your I've garlic seen the chili ones all the time. Yeah, garlic they they bond with the fat and they become fat soluble and they they linger in the flavor very, very, very well. Um, you know, I've seen ones that are very odd, but if you feel like you it's a trusted source, there's nothing wrong with creating your own. Chili olive oil blend, or your you know garlic olive oil blend, or rosemary, which is a incredibly good for you, um, but B really does take on the olive oil does take on the flavor of the rosemary. So if you have a half bottle left around and you want to make something, just you know look into making some some flavored olive oil.
0: I love uh, rosemary olive oil. I love chili olive oil. I don't use it often, but when I do, I'm like, why don't I? often yeah like and the, like rosemary oil with bread amazing yeah uh chili oil drizzled over a salad or pasta or pizza pizza and, and pasta i actually sometimes even use it to
1: to you know i'll pour some chili olive oil in the bottom of my pan once the uh pasta is done and just toss it with with some feta and that's maybe some capers and that's
0: it yeah that's that's top drawer. i love that stuff and it does it's not. There's nothing wrong with it as you say there's no heresy to that it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing.
1: <laughs> We'd love to hear from you guys. Who do you think has the best olive oil? Which country?
0: Uh, now knowing that the, the Italians are tricking us all. Uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite brand or a favorite style that you go to? Are there any of you like me and Will that don't really like olives uh, to eat but love olive oil? I feel like there's quite a few of us out there. But could you actually
1: tell us on different item could you even think of a different item where you hate or you dislike the yes. product but love bananas
0: what do you like of, what do you like of i love it? banana bread okay and i love banana chips but i don't like banana that's a texture thing though
1: yeah it's a texture it's, a, so it's, a, texture, it's a texture texture thing for me as well like i i, I they make me want to puke um the that's funny though, because I actually I like plantains, and that's a te- I like plantains that's too. A texture thing. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, tell us if you if there's anything out there that the ingredient is not. You know, I mean, the, I guess the the flip side of this is that the
0: juices is worth the squeeze. Um, yes, especially with olive oil. Um, yeah. Um, as we as we wrap up this, this has been fun. Do you do you have any any words of wisdom for us?
1: Yeah, I kind of. While diving into this, and as we said, we try to stay away from the the olive itself to an extent. Um, we could talk tapenade all we want, but we talked about how it's it's been around for thousands upon thousands of years. It has been so key to pretty much every major um, African, European, Middle Eastern uh, society throughout time. You know, olive oil and olives in general feature heavily in the tri-religions of of Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. It is so important, and one of the things that I sort of caught on was the idea of the olive branch, extending the olive branch, and the idea of it being symbolizing of peace. I mean, even on the one dollar bill, the eagle on our on our money is holding an olive branch. Yeah. So I wanted to know when that whole idea started. And there's no real idea about when it had to to like, you know, no one's saying this is it, but it's been around thousands upon thousands of years. And and one of the earliest um, references I could find to it being used as a sign of peace, kind of like flying the white flag of surrender, was um, from the Roman poet Virgil in his recounting of the Trojan War. And I think it's rather fitting in the world we are today to sort of just read these eight or so lines. And I apologize for my pronunciation of ancient Greek terms. It's not my, uh, not my milieu. So I thought this is a nice way to finish. Um, So high on the stern and Nenus his stand and held a branch of olive in his hand. While thus he spoke the Phrygian arms you see expelled from Troy provoked in Italy By Latin foes with war unjustly made, the first affianced and the last betrayed, this message bear the Trojan and their chief, bring holy peace and beg the king's relief.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, eat well.